Hello, Albert and cameraman Cam back for another episode of the Moto Academy. My head hurts already. What? Why does your head hurt? We filmed outside yesterday. We moved into the new apartment in Tampa. Tried to film outside. The sun was in the perfect spot. And then 25 minutes into the podcast, the sun moved. In, I moved into direct sunlight. Not only did I start sweating profusely, all of the equipment overheated all at once. All at once? Fo- like- all at once. The phone <laughs> overheated and shut off. And within 15, not even 15 seconds, within three seconds, the computer overheated and shut off. And my mic stopped working like 10 seconds before that. So it was unbelievable. Now we have set up in this room. Hopefully the audio sounds okay. I know you guys don't have much to look at, but we have my trusty leather couch. It's a nice And couch. cameraman Cam's over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so far away. I can, I'm looking at him on my little phone screen. Hey, well, let okay. it be known what it's the high today where I live is 63. Already. Really? Already the highest 63, dude. Which is great for riding, but much past that, dude, is when it gets kind of, uh-uh. What was, what was the temperature last night? Last, like, at night? Yeah. Oh, it probably got down to 50. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's nice, but the problem is it's going to get cold there fast. Oh, yeah. No, we're there. Dude, you're going to be back up here in a few weeks for 80K, and it will likely not be warm. It'll probably be right around the 60 mark, if I were to guess. I'm already starting to get used to the Florida. It's just hot constantly. (laughs) So you quickly get used to it. It's going to be weird not being hot. I've just gotten used to just sweating all the time. Like You have to expect that when you walk outside, if you're dressed nicely, you're just going to sweat through all your clothes. It's just... Yeah, but sweating aside, I love Florida. I just love I really Florida. like it here. I yeah. really like it here. Yeah, I mean, it's you're cool. what, three days in now? Yeah. So you're basically going to be there forever. <laughs> I've slept here two nights, or I think I might have slept here three nights now, total. That's pretty good. That's so pretty we're good. making progress, yeah. Yeah, really good. Yeah. How's my, oh, wait, you can't tell. I Hopefully my lighting's good. Yeah, you got a bit, you're casting a bit of a shadow, but that's all right. Yeah, I, I tried. I'm doing something really interesting. Not that anybody cares about this, but I'm shooting a light straight up my ceiling. And it's giving me a super soft wash, but I'm a geek. So well, forget I, I, I have a that. third light. I could probably set it up just out of frame over here or maybe even tucked in this corner and just aim it up. But we'll do that next time. Yeah. Let us know in the comments if you guys want to uh, how to shoot dirt bike videos masterclass. Just just let me know. Me and Ryan will make it. <laughs> yeah. And how to shoot podcast studio because I got a mean shadow right here. Yeah, you do. It's okay. Now we're just pointing it out, so now everyone's going to be annoyed yeah, by it. Yeah, it's okay. No one else would have ever noticed. Everything's fine. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> Albert and I didn't go to Paula because we're partnered with Jet Lawrence, so why would we be there for that? <laughs> but That's some good scheduling right yeah, there. Yep, that yep, is. Yep, Instead, I'm, we went to New York. We went to Syracuse, New York for class at Compound MX. Yep. Beautiful track, though. It's like the country club of dirt bikes basically i mean it's, it was it was a golf course but a dirt bike track that the track is beautiful nicest track in the northeast i think or in new york easily. absolutely easily um, northeast what other tracks would you put up there with it? i rank jolly rogers up there um it's just so flowy it's just so flowy. So here's yeah, here's my like take. The, here's my yeah, take. I, uh, hot take. Not that anybody cares. Okay. 
about my opinion. But Compound MX, absolutely unbelievable track for someone who's experienced. Yeah. Right. You got to be, I honestly, I only did a few laps and I'm very thankful I got to do a few laps. And watching your GoPro footage from the day, if you find a flow on that track, it's probably the best track ever. But you have to be a pretty high level rider in the sense of like the jumps are very steep. They all look the same. They're mostly doubles. Like you got to kind of know what you're doing. Um, like I was thinking, I was like, oh, I'd love to bring Josh and Kip here. But like we shouldn't bring Josh and Kip there yet. You know no, what I mean? God, like, no. Not right. But you I, it, after if I worked with you for a day and got you over all the jumps, you oh. would you would be in love with that track because you could jump everything. Even that big step up along the trees in the back, I could get you over that. No, honestly, day. if I could follow you for a lap, I'd probably jump everything like right off mm -hmm. the rip. I just needed somebody to follow. They were so steep, like the jump faces are so steep <laughs> that I just didn't know yeah. at all how fast to hit them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you know oh, how like I, I love that. You know how like jumps can be deceiving where when they get to a certain steepness, <laughs> like you go up, it's almost out. exponential how fast you have to hit them to like make it. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. So a lot of them were like that, but unbelievable track. Just, just mm -hmm. beautiful. Um, Hey, was that the worst? We don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but was that injury? the worst injury you've seen? Out of class? Mm, no, it, close. So just for those of you listening, it's not super often that we have people get hurt at class. Almost never. Yeah, almost never. That's the first time for me. And I've been around you for two years now. Maybe n almost never during class, right? People will kind of fall and get banged up and maybe they have to like listen and watch for a an hour or two while they're like kind of bruised, but no, no bro broken bones or anything really. Uh, but it's when class ends. Yeah. It's all, out. it's when class ends and I give the lecture at the end of class guys, it's end of the day. We just train for six hours. The tracks usually beat up by that point mentally and physically you're fatigued. I give the lecture every time and always that's when people get hurt. So in Germany, I had somebody crash, overshoot a step up and get a weird bounce and go into like a tree and the compound fractured their arm. And it was very similar situation where it compound fracture. So it was bleeding. It was through the skin and their elbow was completely dislocated <clears throat> at compound. Uh, the poor kid, and we have to figure out and see how he's doing. I'm sure he would have had surgery by now. It, he cased. I think is what we were told. And it, it always, it's like, I'm doing, you know, selling the shirts at the end, the tour shirts and taking pictures and talking to people. And then all of a sudden people start running. I'm like, Oh, here we go. And I think he cased a little triple, very small, like plateau landing. Mm -hmm. So small. In fact, that it's probably a jump where I would have bet money that he would have overshot it, but I was told he cased it probably got a crazy bounce off the case. And, uh, he hit so hard that his boot fell off. So I don't know if that had something to do with it or not, because it came his he had an Alpine Star Tech Seven, nice. uh, completely buckled. It didn't come unbuckled and fall off. It just flew off. That's bizarre. and he compound fractured tib fib. So through the skin, it was bleeding, and his whole knee cap was dislocated. Which that sucks. I hopefully the you know chances are hopefully that that 
leg break is clean enough to where they put it back in and it's good. But I get scared of the knee too. Like when you dislocate the knee, does that tear everything that's in there? I don't, I don't have any idea. I was talking to Kip about it last night and he says like, when you dislocate a knee, you don't move that thing for a while, which is like, uh, he had uh, such, such a good day too. It was, yeah. his, it was his third day or something on a bit. He had just moved up to big bikes. He rides at bro MX and mass, uh, he had such a good day. He, he did so well throughout the day. He had really good body position, especially in the turns. I remember he was all excited. And it was one of those where I think he even told his dad, like, one more lap. And then Ugh. I felt bad because he was laying there. He, he took it like a champ. He was laying there dealing with the pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, he kept apologizing. Oh, did he really? Yeah, because he felt bad that he, you know, in, inconvenienced everybody. So, yeah, we were there instead of Paula. By mistake, uh, Jet won the championship. No surprise there, but the 250 race was more exciting than I thought it was going to be for a few reasons. Mm-hmm. You you watched all the races, right? I did. Yeah, it was one of the most exciting weekends of the year, in my opinion. Yeah, I if we made a in the riders meeting on Saturday morning. <laughs> I made it a point to tell the entire class: do not by any means. Tell us what's going on. Nobody tell us. Oh, yeah. I would have been like there is Fox Raceway is not to be spoken of today. So we finished class. And then as soon as I got back, because I knew we had the podcast immediately after the next day and I I'm in and out. I was I'm only home for one night, so I wouldn't have time to watch it. I got back from class and watched all of them late that night. And it was good. Oh, it was good. It was good. It was good. We have a lot to talk about. Um, Let's. Let want to jump into it? Sure. Two fifty Moto One, unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. Also, yeah. And, and you a, said that what? You said that Jet said that he was angry at the end of that moto yeah. because he thought but, that he. But first, like, what a difference between round twelve, round twelve, right? Round twelve yeah. last year, like Jet's first championship. The last day, just an absolute disaster. He gets off the track, goes to you. He's like, I could have rode better one-handed. Like, this was literally what he said. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wins Supercross, and then this championship day, just totally, totally different. Totally different. And Jet's how old? 19 now, maybe? Still 18? Not even yet. I think he's still 18. Like, oh, wait, no, he just turned. He just turned 19. He just okay. turned 19? Yeah. Like, yeah. wildly impressive, dude. The, oh, man, the kid's just good. He's just good at riding a dirt bike, man. But managed it so well. Goes out, wins Moto 1, and then gets second in Moto 2. It's like, I don't know. That's that's crazy. Did he get second or third in Moto 2? I think he got second behind Cooper. Well, either either way, he won the overall. No, behind Shimoda. But, Sorry. Not behind Cooper. Yeah, I mean, confident. He just raced with confidence. Yep. So did Tomac, and so did... So did Chase, really, other than the one big mistake to start it all. And then that probably began a scramble in his head, which caused the other ones. But I was impressed by both Tomac Tomac and Sexton going into that last race for Moto1 to, with all of that pressure, to come out one and two on that start and then to have a Moto, the Moto that they did. Dude. All right, let's talk two fifties first. Let's talk two fifties first. Level. We're jumping okay. the gun right. here. Okay, <laughs> we're jumping the gun. Um, Hunter and Shimoda 
don't steal the show, but they steal the show. You know, it was like everyone kind of knew Jap, J- Jap, Jet, <laughs> Jap, Jap, that little Jap Joe, Jap, Jap Lawrence. Uh, Jet had it wrapped up. You know, like basically off the start, we were like, okay, Jet, Jet's got the championship as long as he doesn't do anything stupid, which he didn't. And all the focus went to Shimoda and Hunter. And what a move! Battling, they caught back up to him momentarily. What a race! It's a good line Hunter for Hunter. Hunter sends it and takes Shimoda down. Oh, there's the friendship zone. There's the friendship zone. The friendship zone. So I, that's after how many laps of just battling those two? Uh, yeah, well, Hunter was on a mission. Hunter came from pretty far behind those guys, I think, that moto, too. You could just tell. That was just pure motivation, bringing Hunter up to the front. And I knew that. With two laps to go, he was right there with one lap to go. I'm like, I knew I had a feeling a Hail Mary pass attempt could have been coming. And Jet and Hunter are both very, very good typically and make a lot of their passes like coming into the turns, coming downhills especially. They're good at seeing the braking bumps, assessing which ones are going to kick them, being able to like really accelerate through to keep the bike light and gaining a ton of time. So, so is Sexton. Sexton made a lot of passes that way especially in Moto2, just charging that last little bit before the corner. And I was in the hotel elevator going to dinner, watching it on my phone. And when that happened, I yelled so loud and then bing, door opens. <laughs> and it's a whole family like sitting there just looking at me wide eyed. And I'm, <laughs> they're probably like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> I forgot that I was going to be around people and that I was in the elevator. Uh, so I'll break that crash down the best I can. So the way I did, was kind of thinking of it was sort of the people's defense that were hardcore on the side of Justin Barsha for the Bud's Creek incident, making the excuse or the, the reasoning that he couldn't stop because his wheels weren't on the ground. I don't think that that's an accurate depiction for the Barsha situation because it was a slow speed, very slow speed section, the slow speed section of Bud's Creek going into that left-hander. His wheels were on the ground. He was off the track, so there weren't braking bumps. I, you know, I would say with near certainty that my breakdown on the Barsha's situation was accurate in that he could have stopped if he wanted to. Now, with the Hunter Schmoda incident, that was commitment from the top of the hill. He was gonna go for that pass one way or another. He knew that there were big braking bumps there, but he was going to do his best to just keep the bike light, maybe even a gear taller just to like, again, keep the bike light and charge over the the bumps. He got one kick about three quarters of the way down the hill, just past the halfway mark that kicked him into just enough of an endo that by the time the back tire touched and he is going way faster than he already would enter that corner to begin with, that there he didn't leave him any options. I mean... I don't think at that point he could have avoided smashing into Joe if he wanted to. Like the way that he hit him and then his hand flew off. Hunter rides and jet ride the way that I do where they are very calculated. They would never intentionally slam a guy in a high speed section that hard because the risk of taking yourself down and hurting somebody else and hurting yourself is way too high. So there's no way, and I'd be willing to bet that did, he did not expect that outcome and he didn't intentionally hit him. And even you said yesterday when I was talking to you about it, 
that you thought he thought he was going to make contact. I don't think that's the case. I, he wouldn't have charged into, because that's a high speed downhill and a high speed left-hand turn. If you're going to make contact with somebody, even in the slightest in that section, that is high risk, high risk. But that little nose wheelie, that kick that he got was enough to not only take away his speed, probably just enough to where he couldn't make the pass, but then it made it so that he straight up just couldn't get stopped. And then he just used Joe to get stopped, which he had no other option. So yeah, I'd be willing to bet that that was unintentional. A, a move like that, I don't think there was talk of, you know, docking or anything like that on the books, right? But that would never be a, the situation where you would want to dock somebody because if anything can be called a racing incident, it would be that. I wouldn't have considered it a reckless move because that could have very easily worked had he not got that one weird little kick. That pass would have worked. It would have put Joe in a situation where they probably would have been side by side or Hunter would have had half a wheel on him and Joe would have had to have jumped the rut or gone outside. Um, it just didn't work, right? I bet you Joe was pretty angry, but Joe's smart also. So if Joe watched that footage back after the fact, he would have recognized and been able to analyze that situation and know like, all right, obviously, and they're friends. Obviously, you're not going to annihilate somebody that hard intentionally in a section like that. Thankfully, he was okay. Thankfully, Hunter didn't go down. Even though Hunter's throttle hand, I think, came off for a quick second. Uh, yeah. So here's Wild, my question. Though. I'd be curious to hear your guys' thoughts in the comments down below. Although it's hard for me to say that because then what happens is you guys comment with things that don't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Well, let me or you're just trying to start fights. So really, to the best of your ability, guys, objectively, and I know you don't think that my breakdown would be objective because of my partnership with the Lawrence brothers, but... It is. If, those, if one of if Jet or Hunter royally messed up, I would say that. Uh, but I'd love to hear a, a, an educated opinion or a different point of view on the situation, and then uh, we can have a conversation from there. I'd be curious. But as a racer's point of view and knowing how they think, the, that would be my breakdown. What, what are your thoughts? Well, let me, let me ask a question. This is something that I've been trying to think of. The track had decent oppor like passing opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, like coming into the rollers, a lot of passes were happening. Um, mm -hmm. Kind of going across the start straight. There was an inside outside that a lot of people were making happen. That section is not where passes were happening. Why did he go right. for it there? Mm. You know, like okay. it seems like that wasn't a great place to try to make that pass from an outsider looking in. So two things with that. One, he probably would have loved to have make it, made it somewhere else, but he wasn't close enough yet to make it somewhere else. I think after that, what do you have left? I don't think you had... Right, a, I mean, a, a, there were two laps only left had, in the race. So. You only, was it two laps left or was yeah. that final lap? No, I think it was two laps. I think there might have been one lap after that, but either way, it's still do or die at that point. You just got to do it right. Okay, but that, that changes the dynamic. So if there were two laps left or a lap and a half left, then maybe, yeah, maybe less good of a call. He could have probably had an opportunity somewhere else. I thought it was last lap. If it were last lap, well, you could look back at the yeah, footage there's right two, now. Yeah, there's two laps to go, so lap and a half. Mm, okay. 
Now you can't always race with this mentality. When you see an opportunity, you have to yeah, take no, it. No, but no. yeah, my yeah, okay, my my view would change a little, possibly a little bit then. But if Hunter was to make a pass or attempt to make a pass there, he knows something we don't. He wouldn't just recklessly do it because he saw an opportunity open suddenly. A rider of that caliber makes a pass with a plan. He knew before he started going down that hill that he was going to attempt that pass. He was setting that up as they were going up the hill. That didn't, he didn't jump the little step down and go, oh, I'm going for it. Like people do last second, beginners do like last second on a jump face. That was premeditated, at least premeditated by five to seven seconds, right? It wasn't a split second decision. So it's calculated enough. But yeah, that's a good argument because with another lap to go, he could have just used that opportunity to get a little closer and then to try and make the pass somewhere else that was slightly more safe and a little less risky. But then again, you got to make we that could, pass. You we, know, could like, an, we could analyze that all day long, and it's for second place in the championship. That's a lot of money on the line. Still, though, you don't want to hurt somebody and somebody that's your friend over money because who cares? Mm-hmm. I mean, you put somebody on the ground at speed, that's probably a section where they're going 35, 40 miles an hour. That's That's a fast place to hit the ground. So you could, you could really hurt somebody. So you always have to have that in your mind too. I'm going to say the same thing that I said during the Barsha breakdown. If Shimoda didn't fall, nobody would care. It would be totally fine. You know what I mean? It's just that that takeout happened. And I think, yeah, getting knocked off that roller to where he didn't have his brakes made the difference of why we're even talking about it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Had he not hit the one kicker and got that weird little endo of a kick, the pass would have happened or he would have had enough control that if the pass wasn't going to happen, he would have been able to slow down enough. Exactly. Yeah. That, that one, that one little kick, right? It's not that he went airborne. It's that he was just on the front Mm -hmm. and yeah, you need that. You need that wheel chatter. You need that rear brake to be able to get that bike to stop properly or else there's only so much you can use the front brake a little bit, but not enough to really get that bike to slow down. Yeah, and not to mention, cameras don't do it justice. I've never been to that track. I'm sure you have. That hill is probably, probably straight down. Like, yeah. I just remember being at High Point, dude. On on TV, it just looks like, you know, they, they have elevation, right? High Point was like like cliffs that they were going up and down. It was unbelievable. So I bet yeah, you that hill yeah. was the same idea. Um, <coughs> yeah, right. Yep. Yep. Well... So uh, we, can we, we just decided nothing. <laughs> well, basically, I mean, I think that's a, typically a, that's not a bad thing for a breakdown. No, I think that, it's good. That means it's, it's objective, guys. Yeah, no, I think it was <clears> great. Um, and let's talk a little bit about 250 Moto2 while we're talking about the 250 guys. Um, that pass ended up not helping him much, but mm. way to go Shimoda. I mean like the announcers were like, Oh, he's not going to race. Like, I don't, I didn't feel that way. I didn't think he looked hurt. You know what I mean? I think he got hit pretty good and then shook it off and kept going. But to go out and pull 26 seconds on jet and win the moto, like that's impressive. And Hunter got hosed with the start. Right. But also like one way to end a season. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of momentum. That gives you confidence. You know, it's funny because like you looked at the Lawrence brothers and all season, I was like, wow, when jet moves up to four fifty next year, it's all Hunter. Like, who could compete, right? 
And then all of a sudden, by the end of the season, Shimoda got really good. You know, and Shimoda's staying on a 250, right? As far as we know. Yeah. Yeah, Joe just has to work a little bit more on... He has decent upper body stabilization for how far down his elbows are. It would really be helpful if he could get his elbows up slightly so that he could have slightly better upper body stabilization because Joe's footwork is pretty good. Um, Balls feet feet are always tight. He puts them out for the corners, but they're tight. You don't see his feet getting snagged and ripped off. Uh, So generally speaking, Joe has pretty good technique. Mm-hmm. He's one of the next in line in the 250 class as being close to the technique-ish that uh, Jet and Hunter have. Yeah, his inside elbow drops a little bit sometimes, but he's a little bit like McAdoo. Do you notice McAdoo mm. like rides like this? Yeah, it's very way weird. more than Joe. And McAdoo's, yeah, McAdoo really has to fix that. He's got to fix that, his elbows. Everything else looks good. Like his attack position is good, but his el- he looks. it's so strange to watch McAdoo ride. Because I don't know how he's going that fast while he's like down here like this, you know? And I'm sure these guys have done this, but I think maybe some of that would be exploring and experimenting a little bit with different bar bends. Mm, yeah, maybe. Just just to see because, it, I mean, both of those guys seem very much like it's bringing the elbows into their side. Yeah, it's almost like you ever like, well, of course you have. You know when you hop on a kid's bike and his bars are just rolled down too far uh, yeah it just promotes that it's like almost just rolling the bars up would probably help but um for me it's like turning in this is like so crazy to me and i actually at class in new york a couple days ago was talking to a kid about this where everything was good but he had weak wrists meaning like when he was gripping the bars his wrists were like this like that was his kind of default and I'm like, dude, if you can roll, like roll your levers down a little bit or whatever you got to do to make this straight. And all of a sudden you have so much strength. You know what I mean? Um, which made a world of difference en- for him. People end up like this because they feel like they have to like hold on more to the handlebar, I think. And that mm. puts your hands into this position and then your wrist ends up tweaked like that to hold the bar the right way and to open your hand up, uh, you people get scared because it feels like you can't hold on to the handlebar as much. Yeah, but that's that's what you want. Right. You want a straight you want a straight wrist, uh, and that will prevent injury as well. But yeah, it's just scary because you you can't really white knuckle yeah. and death grip the handlebar. Yeah, but either go rewatch a race or wait till Supercross. But McAdoo, if you watch McAdoo's wrists are going to be like this, which is a very weak way to grip the bars. And if you watch Jet Hunter whatever, they're going to be straight the whole mm-hmm. time. You know what I mean? And that's the strongest position for your wrist. Um, and yeah. keeps your elbows up. And keeps your elbows up. That's the whole point. Yep. It's it's all, in, it's really a lot of it has to do in the wrist. Like you have to point it out correctly, kind of keep it flush like that. Yeah. And you're dialed. Yep. Instead of putting pressure here. Yeah. Up against the grip donut, the pressure will be more on the outer edge of the palm. Right. To straighten the wrist out. And what I kind of told him, I I focus on that a lot when I ride too. what helped me recently try to like learn this is I just taught myself to never take my pointer fingers off the levers um, and try to reach in as far as you can, like almost to the rubber, whatever they're called, the rubber dust guards or whatever. Um, Like try to place your pointer fingers on that because you won't be able to do it unless your wrists are correct. Yes. Very smart. Very good. Yep. All right. Moving right along. Uh, okay. four, 450 class. Let's talk about James Stewart for a second. 
I don't know if him in the booth, I don't know if it's because the championship was so good, but his breakdown was actually very analytical and very fun to listen to. Of what? Of the races in general. uh, Like, I don't know if it was because there were so many dynamics happening, but I love, and also like, obviously we're, we're the geeks of the sport, right? Where it's like when he was talking about just like race strategy, he talked a lot about race strategy. I don't know if you got onto that mm-hmm. and it was fascinating to listen to. I just loved it. I loved it. And it, it honestly gave me a little bit of respect for James because like I remember watching James and I mean, obviously he was insane, but to think about all of that strategy that was going through his head when he's riding like changes everything. You know, it's, it's, it's so his cool. strategy because what was the reason he was able to talk about it so specifically is because when he raced, there was, you know, one, two guys at most. You had Reed and Carmichael, but mostly it was one guy throughout most of his career. Or, no, that's not true. At least at the beginning, it was Carmichael. I think when he was talking about that situation, he was remembering the situations 1v1 versus Carmichael, where you had to, it was, he explained it as chess, not checkers, right? Where right. you have to, it's like, it's like a road bike race, thinking about where you can drop the person, where you have to hang on to their back tire and preserve energy, where you think their weaknesses are, if it's a hill, right? So on the dirt bike, it's like, you, you're always going to have your strong and weak points of the track. You're going to be faster than the other guy in some spots. They're going to be faster than you in some spots depending on the type of track, softer dirt, harder dirt, you're going to know who's a little bit better on what style. You're going to know just who's better at the beginning part of the moto, who's better at the end. Uh, There's a lot that goes into that. So the dynamic of Chase and Tomac was just that. I mean, you, there was a lot more thinking than you would probably guess going on. Those guys aren't from the drop of the gate. When they start one, two from the drop of the gate, they are absolutely not going as fast as they can the whole time. Right. They're very close to it, but there's always that little bit extra in certain spots going as fast as you can. What that looks like is chase and moto two after he fell. Right. Yeah. Which I have a, I have a thought about that. And he was hauling. Unbelievable. He was going so fast because he still barely didn't finish that far behind Tomac and yeah. he crashed three times. <laughs> I, I know. So yeah, that's, that's crazy. 450 Moto 1, gate drop, James Stewart. Thank you, God. <laughs> Just the, I laughed hilarious. out loud, dude. I laughed out loud. I was literally watching these races because we tried to record the podcast yesterday, which was Sunday. I was literally watching the races in between services at church. And I'm backstage. I'm just like, when <gasps> <laughs> they come out one, two, dude, like what a storybook, perfect way to start the day. Um, yeah. Because dude, like what if, you know, if Sexton came out first and Eli was like 15th, it would still be exciting. But for them to come out one, two, it was like, this is going to be a crazy 30 minutes. And it was like, oh, so good. So and the good. way, the way that Moto two and they won by a minute and 10 seconds. A minute and 10 seconds. Place. That's unbelievable. Against yeah, against uh, what? Anderson got third, I think. I think so. And Anderson is ridiculously fast. Like for they're just on a whole nother 
I've, yeah, that was spectacular to watch. Yeah, well, it's, I've, I listened to some interviews last night and this morning of Tomac, and he, that's what he was saying. He said, firstly, like this was his most fun mm-hmm. 450 or just most fun year that he's had. Yeah. Uh, and he thinks that it's the highest level of riding he's done. Yeah. How and cool that is those that? two were elevating each other, which ob- it was obvious watching that, that so they were. How? How are they that much faster? I, like, I think it's a lot of it's just a a confidence thing too. I because what happens is that I could certainly speak to this. When you show up on race day, you're almost I've only performed close to my full ability twice in my whole career. And that's because the confidence just does this. <laughs> you know, like it's such a it's such a delicate thing. And when you're finishing for those guys, like an Anderson, for example, when you're finishing first, first, sixth, eighth, second, first, fourth, you go through these, you know, peaks and valleys of confidence. And it's hard to operate every moto at your peak performance. Where when Tomac and Sexton start going one and two every moto, gapping people, the confidence compounds faster than anything else so it just elevates them to their peak performance i don't think that those two are that much better than everybody else necessarily i think sexton is certainly the future as far as technique goes and he's going to start to probably separate himself more and more from people but i think that's more of a confidence thing Mm -hmm. is what i would put that on i mean confidence compounds quickly and it deteriorates even quicker but with those guys going one two every race it's like they're doing this and everybody else behind them is doing this like kind of staying the same because they're the confidence is up one weekend and it's right back down up down so they're staying the same those guys were just boom 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 and they're just that's how they separate themselves same thing with carmichael stewart there was never a second where those guys thought that they were going to be getting beat by any of the other people yeah yeah it's crazy wow it's high level it is high level so all that to say moto one was unbelievable and then moto two happened moto one did not go chase's way chase had to be eli in moto one in my opinion yeah it was it was a must win situation and basically the fact that he got second i bet you can still look at that and be like we got moto two but you got to have somebody finish in between you two. It, it got a lot harder, you know. But the way Moto2 started couldn't have been any better, really. Right. Yeah. Sexton third. Eli yeah. ninth, eighth, ninth. Mm-hmm. And it took um, Eli a while to get up there. Right. But um, so. On, let's also, watch this crash because the, yeah. it was devastating. It was, was devastating. So um it was devastating. So this is, but for Chase's mental side, he should feel better because if if anything's gonna bug Chase, what's gonna bug Chase is that he hopefully is that he didn't win Moto One mm-hmm. because if he finished Moto Two or in second in Moto One, Tomac had to get third. Right. So even though Chase crashed and blew it then it didn't matter anyway because Tomac came through and passed all those guys. So it wouldn't have changed. He would have got second in the championship anyway. He had to win Moto 1. Yeah. 
Um, so this is 22 minutes, right? All the races were short because it was so hot. So this was about a lap and a half in to the race. Okay. All right, here we go. But wasn't able to make the pass. Craig's starting to get away, actually, a little bit. Oh, mm. no, Sexton's down. No way. He hit that bump. Not even and kidding. there goes Tomac. Not, wow, not wow. kidding at all. My jaw, I had to pick it up off the ground. Yeah, well, did you hear Stewart's reaction? It wasn't even loud. He was just like, "No way," because yeah, he, he was like, in dis—he uh, was in disbelief. Yeah, he had the same reaction I did. I—I I didn't yell at that one like I yelled at the Hunter Schmoda situation. Yeah. I just went silent. I was like, "Oh no!" It was perfect. <laughs> it was perfect. Sexton was where he needed to be. Eli was where Sexton needed him to be, and he does that. And watching it from that front angle. I replayed it like six times and I'm like, well, what caused that? It was earlier in the moto. So he couldn't have been tired yet. His upper body collapsed so quickly. I'm like, all right, is, was there a shadow? So that, and did he hit a square edge that he wasn't expecting and it made him fold over the front? Well, why would that have happened? Stewart at first on the broadcast said he looked over. Uh, good guess, yeah. I, I suppose. But it, it, if you watch it, over and over. I don't think he looked over. No, it was uh, but Vital MX, shout out Vital MX. They got a clip from the back. Yeah, perfect. And clip. You, you showed me this clip yesterday. We'll watch it again now. This clip explains everything, and I'll tell you guys why. So we'll we'll watch it right now. I think it plays in real time. Oh, there's slow mo too. And then it goes slow mo action. Ah. Uh, Okay, Cam, have you had time? Did you watch the clip of Jet at Salt Lake City yet? Sure haven't. So We'll put it on screen. We'll put it on screen. That was the exact same cause as the Salt Lake City crash this year with Jet when he endoed himself a little bit and kind of supermaned himself on the triple in in the rhythm section. All of that is caused by outside foot placement. So I always tell my students, when you're done using the controls, you have to return your feet back to the balls of your feet, tight up against the frame. You have to be intentional with that because if not, what happens is you could start with your feet in the correct spot, but very quickly, five seconds later, you can get your feet shifted to a position to where you're not applying pressure down on them, your toes out, so it can easily slip off the peg. It is doesn't take much for the foot to just go haywire. When you watch that clip, Sexton probably, this is my guess on the entry, this is speculation because you can only see the exit. He probably entered the corner a little faster than what he wanted to, which made him drag the rear brake longer than he wanted to. And it probably put him in a rush to where he used the rear brake with his toe and then rotated his toe out. This is something that I get on jet for often. You cannot do that. I don't care how much of a rush you're in. When you're done with the rear brake, you're supposed to slide your foot back to the balls of your feet on the foot peg so that it's in the correct spot. You can apply pressure down. It's out of harm's way. It's not going to slip off the foot peg. Chase's foot was on his arch, toe pointed out. And he not only at that point are you not applying pressure down into the foot peg, which is an issue because with acceleration bumps like that, you need the weight in your feet not in your butt. So if he were to stay in the seat longer out of the exit of that corner and there wasn't weight on his outside foot, 100% of that weight's in your butt. Your butt's just going to get shimmied off the back of the seat. All the weight's going to go in your arms. That's how you get arm pump. 
Instead, Chase went to go stand and his foot was so misplaced that it just slipped off the foot peg. And he didn't even know, like he didn't know it was going to happen. It just slipped off. And the exact same thing happened to Jet on the triple into the rhythm section at Salt Lake. Jet went to go seat bounce, which when you seat bounce, naturally some of the weight is into your feet. And his foot was so misplaced that it just whoop, right off the edge of the foot peg. And w- once that happened to Chase, he is so meticulous with where his body position is. And he holds on so little with his arms that when his foot slipped like that, he immediately caved to the front. Right. Immediately. So Chase would watch that back and that mistake too is probably going to drive him nuts because that's an easy thing to fix. Uh, It's a hard habit to form because it does require constant thought. Like every time you take a corner, you're supposed to readjust your feet. Every time you catch air, readjust your feet. So you can't just do it one time and then expect for it to be good the entire lap or entire race. You're probably readjusting your feet 40 to 50 times per lap. So if you're not good at it yet, it takes a lot of thought. For somebody like Chase, Chase has maybe the best footwork of anybody in motocross. His feet are normally really, really good. And that's all that was, outside foot placement mistake. Um, So for those of you watching, how you would fix that is when you're done with the rear brake entering the corner, which you should be done with the rear brake right before the corner begins. You're just sliding that foot back right to the balls of your feet, which is right behind your toes. And then you're making sure that that foot is wedged all the way up against the frame as well. And the idea is when you sit, so with that being a left-hand turn, the angle of your foot is like this. So you're not only applying a ton of pressure down into that outside foot peg, which will help take weight off of your butt, so you don't have to hold on with your arms and it'll keep your body in the correct position. It's also putting the weight backwards on the foot peg so that as you accelerate out of the turn, especially on a big 450, you don't just get ripped off the back of the bike. Um, So if you guys have an arm pump issue or you feel like one of the places you struggle most is accelerating out of the turns, that outside foot placement is the most important thing. Yeah, and that's what caused it. Yeah. Simple. Simple. And it, it's cool. <laughs> it's, 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 it's cool for us because it's, you can break that down right into a simple, it's a simple technique fix. Yep. Simple. Yep. That's it. Uh, but that, you know, that also speaks to just motocross. I mean, this is why the stuff that you teach the classes, the app is so dang important because the difference between you wadding yourself and having the best day of your life is those two inches of where your foot might be in a certain section. And it's yep. like, especially the faster you get. Right. And what's cool about it for you guys is that, you know, if you're a formula one fan, we are teaching exactly what Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton and Daniel Ricardo are doing. You know what I mean? There's no secret. For those guys, there might be. I don't know how car racing works. There probably is secrets. <laughs> For motocross, there's not. You know, like the, the technique that they're using is exactly, exactly what I teach. And it's not rocket science. It's very, very basic. Right. What happens, and the reason why people don't do it the way that they should, is because most riders, pros included, are operating at a level that is higher than their comfort zone. So they're kind of just, they're not able to 
to remain and stick to the technique because it's not ingrained enough in their mind yet to where when they're operating at 90, 100, 110%, everything starts going out the window and then it gets, it goes haywire. So that's why it's so important to practice the technique regularly so that becomes muscle memory. And then on race day, especially, you have to know where your limit is. And if you go beyond that limit, things start getting sloppy. You have to stay at that limit. I always try to tell people that. If that means that you're getting 25th place, you're getting 25th place. If that means that you're winning, you're great, you're winning. But as soon as you let the ego take over and you try to go faster than what your technique will allow, it all falls apart. And not saying that that's what Chase was doing because he wasn't, he's very, 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 he knows what he's doing. Uh, and he always seems to be riding within that limit. The mistake that the mistakes that chases make Chase, the mistakes <laughs> that Chase makes are normally very subtle and almost can be put more on the mental side of things. I don't think I would consider that one of the mental slip ups. So here's what I was. This leads us great into crash number two. The broadcast. Okay, I, I haven't seen crash number two, or I haven't watched it back yet. At okay, least. so the this will be interesting. To see your raw reaction then. Okay. Um, James, James Stewart in the broadcast was like, oh, he looked to see where sex, to see where Tomac was. That's what caused it. That would be a mental slip up. That first crash, I do not think was a mental slip up. Like Agreed. it could be argued that it was because he was, he didn't put his foot back and you got to think about that. But mm. that, I don't think that's, a, it's not like a race, like a mental racing mistake. It's not like he was thinking about someone other than himself. I don't think. Yeah. If, if anything, if you're on the mental to technical scale, crash number one weighs more on the end of technical than right. mental. Absolutely. Still mental involved 100%, but now, more on the end of technical. Okay. Crash now two. Now what happens on crash two? This was about 30 seconds later. Really? Yeah. Okay. It was right after. All right, here we go. It uh, looks like Gisena loses the front end. That's just focus right there. Just losing a front end. And so James again is like, that's that's a lapse in focus. Agreed. I would agree with that. Te is there a technical reason for it? Yes. But the crashes that Chase has when he's standing up and just washes the front like that are the lapse in focus crashes. Just like the one that he had the, in recent memory, the one that he had at Bud's Creek going into the left-hander where he kind of like sat at the wrong time, right? Right. That's, that's, a, that's kind of a mental lapse. Like he mechanically and technically, he knows when to sit. Uh, it just sometimes if you're, if you're having that mental lapse, you would just override or like, yeah, I, I would agree that with James, I'd love to see that a little closer so you could see and I can tell you guys exactly what caused it. Um, but a couple of things technically that that could have been, it could have been waiting the inside peg a little bit too much, which will make the bike want to go out from under you could have been just a slight slide out of the front end. And he wasn't stabilizing upper body enough because he was, then this is what it all boils down to. He was thinking too far ahead. Hmm. Once that first crash happened and then he gets up, he immediately is thinking, okay, I am getting to the front. Now I have to get this next guy. Where's Tomac? And he's not staying in the moment. And then you're going, you're riding too fast at that point to not be in the present moment. If right. you're thinking about the future, then you're going to crash. Like that's probably why he has those last lap situations in supercross because you're thinking about that checkered flag and, Oh, I'm going to make 150 grand. This is cool. And mm. next thing you know, whoop, you, you fall. 
you have when you ride a dirt bike, especially at the highest level, you have to be thinking about what you're doing right then and there. Yep. Yeah. All right. Now crash okay. number three. Happen. I agree with everything you just said. Crash crash number three. You and I are gonna have different opinions. I feel like. Okay. I, not I that, totally forget crash number three. Not that I'm qualified at all to have an opinion. Period. But <laughs> I have an opinion, and I think okay. it'll be different from yours. So this was about six or seven minutes later. Ten. 11 minutes, 11 minutes left in the races is his last crash. All right, here we go. I got two angles of this one. If I'm Eli, number 21 is all I care about. Oh, no, there you go a again. third crash from Sexton. Okay, so with that one, I, I had a feeling that that was going to, I remember this now, I had a feeling that that was going to happen in that section. Chase went outside there maybe one or two other laps. And the other times that he went there, it didn't go well either. He was trying to charge in too hard for what that line would allow. It looked like a line that wasn't really worked in as well. It was pretty slippery. Um, we might have the same opinion here. I, I just think it just looked a little slippery. So I don't think his front tire ever even ended up in that rut. Like the yep. very lap before, or two laps before that, he totally botched that section. I think he was wrong in even trying to go there. I, he probably should have used that section as one to just be slightly patient for two more seconds, stay in that main inside line, uh, and funnel back in. What's wow. your opinion? Well, that was very similar to my opinion. So I think crash number two was a mental mistake. Yeah, thinking too far ahead, and you weren't focused on what you were doing. That crash, I think he was just going too dang fast. So at this point in the race, he was two seconds faster a lap than everyone, Tomac included. He was riding so freaking fast. I didn't even, it didn't make any sense. It was like one of those rides. Like, honestly, that whole race for Sexton, that was probably the fastest he's gone all year. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally just, just going faster than everybody else. Um, in Moto 1, Chase and Eli were matching each other going four to five seconds a lap faster than the rest of the field, which is unbelievable. Sexton, at this point, in the race, when that crash happened, was going two-ish seconds a lap faster than the rest of the field, Tomac included. The dude was just going too fast, in my opinion. And like, yeah. He hit a, yeah, he so hit I, a dry I, spot, probably too much front brake, done. Like you, He was just going too fast. There are parts of a track that will only, there is a limit. There's a limit. There's got to be. There's a limit. So depending on if the rut's too shallow and your limit is on how much lean angle you can get before your tires scoot out of the rut, or if it's a little dry or a little slick or whatever it is, there is a limit to each section. Most people aren't riding the track to that limit, but, and I have students sometimes too, and I have to remind them. Guys, there's there's limits for these sections. Like if you if your technique becomes good enough and you have that much confidence to where you're reaching the limit of what that section will allow you to go, you have to recognize that. You have to recognize, okay, if I'm at if I'm at 10 degrees of lean angle, if I go to 12, then we're going to have some issues and that tire is going to screw out of the rut and I'm going to fall. So again, watching that him hit that section, the speed that he was trying to hit it the couple of laps before, I had that feeling in my stomach like, mm, it doesn't look right. It just didn't, the bike didn't look settled. It looked sketchy. Uh, where everywhere else I was watching him just like, holy crap. It looked incredibly fast, but it looked doable. But that section specifically, I was like, oh, it just didn't look right. It's just, 
I think about this all the time. When this whole season watching um, Chase and Eli go at it, that's been in my mind the most. Is like, where is the limit? And how do you even define that? To watch like the evolution of Moto has been so fun. Like the last two, three years where you and I have been going to races and I've been more involved in watching the sport more than ever before. It's like, it's just been fascinating to watch that boundary be pushed because it's it's a combination of everything. It's a combination of like like fitness techniques that are getting better, just like health stuff getting better, the bikes getting so much better. Like, because you just said it, it's like your bike has to be set up for that speed or else it won't work, right? The track has to allow that speed or else it won't work. Like that side of riding is just fascinating to me. Mm. And it's rare that it happens. I mean, really rare. There's guys that go extremely fast. Chase and Eli this year have gone extremely fast at a lot of races. But even then, I watch, I watch, and I you can see room for improvement in each individual section. Slight room for improvement, but a little bit. Uh, it's rare that each section is being ridden completely to its limit. Uh, yeah. So I'd say that's what that was. So let's end this off. With this clip, I just found this really cool. I just found this cool. We may have nothing to say about it. I just found it cool. I mean, uh, I just think of this whole season as, as an entirety, and um, it's been the most enjoyable year, you know, I, I, uh, by far, uh, of my career right now, and um, just had so much fun to do it, starting with Supercross, now with motocross. Uh, the competition was, was, uh, was, was just unbelievable, too, from Chase. I mean, uh, he is the next 450 guy, hands down. Um, we pushed ourselves to the limit. I felt like we, we even raised the bar this year. So <clears throat> thank you to my team. I just find that cool. You yeah. know, like, I don't know. I don't know even what about it. I just that, find that cool. Well, I mean, that, if anything's a passing of the torch, yeah, that would be it. Yeah, that is, that'll give you some confidence if you're Chase. It's got to. Right? I, I don't know how and Chase that'll give views Jets Eli. Motivation. Sorry? And that'll give Jet some motivation too. Well, so I don't know how Chase views Eli. You know, Chase had a really cool podium interview where he was like, I can't wait to be his teammate, teammate for MX and Nations, which is very cool to say. I think Chase views Eli as uh, probably like one of his heroes. I, I would hope you so. You would think. I would I mean, hope so. Tomac is one of the best ever. For Tomac so, to yeah. say, you're the guy. Like, that is pretty darn cool. Also, I just remember like, it's and Tomac seems happy. It's, it's Dude, cool. It's yeah. it's crazy to see Tomac. Obviously, how could you not be? It's crazy <laughs> to see Tomac. Like, I remember when he didn't, because he was going for four in a row, right, for outdoors, I think, and missed it last year. And I was like, well, that's it. He's going to Yamaha. No more, no more championships. I had that outlook. And gets Supercross, Motocross. He gets four freaking outdoor championships. Just wicked cool. Just wicked cool. Um, yeah, but yeah, they had killer seasons, dude. That was so fun to watch. Like that was so fun to watch. Also, Eli, that's likely his last outdoor season. That's not confirmed, but it sounds like it's going to be his last outdoor season. And to go out with a year like that, I just so badly want him to win motocross nations. Do you remember the year Mm -hmm. where Villapoto won supercross outdoors, MX nations and monster cup? No, but so it, it was, it was the first year of monster cup. Ryan won Supercross Championship, Motocross Championship, well, Motocross Nations, and Monster Cup. 
And if that's the case, then the first year Villapoto won Monster Cup, he went one one one, meaning he won the million. He won the million. Dollars at I know Cup. it was spectacular. He had the perfect gear. And aside from Monster Cup, I want that to happen for Eli, dude. Like, obviously, I want USA to win motocross. We're at Redbud. Like, you I would think the only question mark would be Justin Cooper, right? Right. Because uh, yeah, you would think so. Uh, Chase and Eli. Yeah. You, at Redbud, you gotta. If they don't, they gotta. I mean. You would think, I mean, again, the only uh, a big factor there would be starts. If they get shafted in the starts, anything could happen. Anything could happen. But, but if, also, if they get decent starts, I mean, uh, yeah, but dude, we'll see. Him, That'll be an interesting test. That'll be a really interesting it's test. It's going to be awesome. I, I don't know. I have faith in Justin Cooper. Like, um, the only thing is his results have been very unpredictable. Like, I remember he was on the last Motocross and Nations team and just, I mean, we we were in the back, you know? Um, because it's just I think he'll do well. He gets good starts. I think mentally he's pretty strong, uh, and I I think he'll give it his his all. Yeah, uh, we're flashing battery right now. Well, let's wrap it up. I'm done. You're yeah, done? I'm done here too. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm done. I'm over this conversation. All right. Well, good talk, everybody. Hey, send in podcast questions. That will, that's probably what we'll be doing next. Um. By via video to cameraman cam in the app next week we'll probably almost be doing entirely questions yep so send them in vertical video we'll try to keep it one minute or less to cameraman cam uh my camera's dying and it's dead <laughs> <laughs> and you can finish looking at me like normal this is always how it goes all right uh yeah so i guess that's it send them to cameraman cam send videos if you send texts uh, it won't be included in the podcast. Thank you guys that have sent in questions. And yeah, next episode we'll record probably in the next few days. We will do that uh, almost entirely to your guys' questions. Ask advice, anything. Ask advice for anything. Anything. Fitness, nutrition, life, relationships, dirt bikes, business. Uh, I don't care if we know how to answer it or not. We'll do our best. Yep. But it makes for good conversation. Okay. I got to eat. I got to head to the airport. I'm flying in North Dakota. Oh, yeah. Today. Today. So I will see you guys in North Dakota. And then I don't know where I'll be after that, but I'll be somewhere. Yep. Check tour.themotoacademy.com. Sign up for classes. And yep, that's it. I'll see you there. All right. Good talk. Okay. Great. Awesome. Toodaloo. Okay, bye.